Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Megan. Hi, Megan. So nice Hi, to honey. have you back in the studio. It is nice to be back. We shook our gree-gree. We and I'm admiring cousin Jenny's kangaroo. Um, she has a great voice for this. Good job, Jenny. It was nice listening to you. An hour. I loved it. An hour and a half. Hour and 28 minutes. Yep. I, you guys know that I listen when I'm mm-hmm. gone at conferences and such. So so I listen to those things. And we had a He's wonderful, so wonderful turnout. People were commenting in the Patreon app about how much they that. loved Cousin Jenny. So but have that you is taken fabulous. a picture yet? I have, and I keep forgetting to post You've it. You've got to post I, this. I did take a picture. You've got to post this. We will post this beautiful kangaroo. We've got to come up with a, I think we were calling him Jason Roo. I think he this should be Jason Roo. Because we have so many Jasons well, on this This just show. doesn't look appropriate at all. It does not. She put the crystal... <laughs> penis sack in the kangaroo sack and it's it, sticking out like an erect it's a well, like just, an erection we're just gonna call this as a joey his <laughs> <laughs> joey his joey his joey cute cute all right well let's get right down to it if we if we can here i First, love it when you talk fast and dirty to me yes somehow. here i am thank you to a listener who i actually don't have permission uh, she sent us a very lovely email and didn't include whether or not we could use her name. So, and, and frankly, because she actually has a connection to the person who initially discovered the victim in this case, okay. I'm just going to leave her name out. I but, think that's great. Um, the reason that she requested this case is because she it's a call to action. So we cover these sometimes when we really um, have an important topic or not that all of these murders are not important, but there are sometimes things that the public can do. And this is one of them. Um, I'm going to give you a trigger alert just from the beginning. This is a child death case. Okay. This is the bizarre murder of 14-year-old Amber Gale Creek, who went by Amy. Okay. And the reason that our listener asked for us to cover this case is because the perpetrator that's been convicted of this crime is coming up for parole in spring 2024 after only serving 10 years. For the crime that I'm about to tell you about. Okay. Okay. So first, let me tell you about Amber Gale Amy Creek. Okay. She was born July 2nd, 1982 in Ridge Park, Illinois. Initially, she lived with her mother, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth had some struggles. She had some addiction problems. Um, she had men in and out of the house. And one of these men that she brought in as a boyfriend turned out to actually be a sexual predator. This Kills me because it was our entire line of work for how many decades? Mm -hmm. For so long. Yep. Vulnerable women in a state of uh, either substance abuse or some type of trauma, bringing people around because they need someone to help them live. And then they end up preying on their children. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that was our lives. And I would hypothesize that most of these men were probably um, avenues for how she got her cocaine addiction, uh, you know, and uh, it's just the perfect storm. Okay. Okay. You have set the scene to one that is very familiar. Yes. When Amber was six, just six years old, she was brave enough to come forward and disclose her sexual abuse by mom's boyfriend. Who did she disclose to? It did not say. But not to mom. I don't know. Um... She, if I don't know if it was a school teacher, I'm not sure, but it was significant enough that the state removed her from her mother's care. And just so you guys know, that's normal with yep. fail to protect because it's new or should have known. Yep. And she's um, then at that point is placed with her father, Robert. Okay. In a nearby town of Palatine. Okay. So she lived with her father and um, I, you know, there are 
there's a lot of varying information out here. Either right? Robert was a good father or he wasn't. Is that what varies? Yes. And <laughs> I can't answer for you what kind of life that she had with her, her father. All right. I have information ranging from he was super strict. He used corporal punishment, which is, is typical for a dad in the 80s. By the way, super strict and corporal 90s. punishment does not make you a bad dad in the 80s and 90s. It, it does just not. doesn't. Yep. You have to have love, though, there and right. affection also. Yep. I didn't see anything that said she was physically abused by her father. Um, you know, corporal punishment can be spanking with or without objects, you know, in the in the eyes. A spanking and, with a hand mm-hmm. is corporal punishment. Right. Right. And so th- those things are, are allowed. Right. As, as we get into this more, there is more questions, I think, about this time in her life that we just, we don't know. But Megan, we know that children who experience trauma of any kind, especially in the 80s and early 90s, were not given trauma treat- treatment, None. right? We no. know that. Amber had been subject to significant early childhood trauma when living with her mother, between dealing with her mother's addiction and seeing the effects of what that comes with. I don't know if she had been moved around a lot, but we can hypothesize based on our experience in the line of work that we do that she probably was, you know, not only given to multiple caregivers, but also moving from place to place. We know mom had an inappropriate inappropriate men around her, okay, that has resulted in trauma with we her. We could almost score her right now on the Filetti Aces scores. Yes. Just uh, based off of what Just she was exposed to. So that. her Before adverse the age of six. Yes. Yep. Her adverse childhood experiences are gonna be high. Yep. I think it's safe to say that trauma did end up rearing its ugly head for Amber. And I don't know if I should call her Amber or Amy. Call her Amy. And so okay. At age of 14, it was said that she was experiencing bouts of severe depression. She began to sneak out at night and at other times run away. Very typical for children who have untreated trauma. Yep. She desperately tried to fill the void in her life by engaging in dangerous behaviors like drinking, drugs, and sex. Okay. Another reason that our dear listener felt compelled to suggest this case is because if you go online and you research it yourself, you're going to see plenty of Facebook and Reddit comments that victim and family shame in a way that makes anyone with any kind of empathy and intelligence cringe. Frankly, some of the comments actually made me feel sick. So there was a lot of ridicule to the family for not parenting Amy better as if they know anything about it. Now, remember, yes, we, we may cast some judgment on her mom's poor behaviors. We also don't have any information about her mother's own childhood experiences and what possibly led to her addiction, right? But also, as I indicated, we don't have a ton of information about what her her life was like with her dad. There is nothing to suggest that after at the age of six, when she was placed with her dad, that he was parenting her inappropriately. Okay. okay? So w- the comments are, in my opinion, absolutely unnecessary because they don't, they weren't in this position and they don't understand. And you'll understand more in a, in a second, but there was tons of ridicule for Amy for putting herself in a vulnerable situation, again, as if they know anything about what it's like to have walked in her shoes. So the, the person who suggested this case hopes that by covering cases like this, the public can learn about warning signs, not only from predators, but also just situations that can lead to danger and just help others be more safe in general. And I agree completely, which is why I wanted to make sure to put it on our coverage list and cover it in enough time before this call to action comes to to uh, desperate fruition in need, okay? In December 1996, Amber's therapist recommended to her father residential therapy, okay? Now, he knew that they were at a critical age and stage with with. Amber at this point in time, Amy, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to switch and call her by <clears throat> what she Amy or to go Amber, by. we yeah. will know who you are talking about. I don't know. I will get snarky comments, but anyway, we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, they knew that they were battling at this point in time in 1996, truly to save her life. Okay. So you and I both know residential therapy, not cheap. Nope. Right. Her dad had to make a very difficult decision that 
Megan, we have seen parents make this decision before. The state refused to take Amber into their care while Robert was providing safe, adequate care for her. Okay? Yes. So Robert had to make a desperate, in what I read as a Hail Mary play, and I liked that terminology because that's exactly what this is, is a Hail Mary. He gave up custody. Sure did. He had to rescue his daughter from the brink of self-destruction, so he dropped her off at the local police station telling officers that she could no longer live with him. This forced the state to take custody of her. Now, I am here to tell you that this is not unusual, especially not for 1996, and this is why there is such a call for more help, both in the mental health field, in the residential settings. It, it is How a decision. Insurance. insurance, exactly. <clears throat> it is something that happens more times than anybody in the general public would ever realize. I have personal friends who have adopted children who have had to make this difficult decision because they came with so much trauma and they were so self-destructive that this was the only way that and they the could. And post-adoption resources are slim to none. They sure are. They sure are. So in all of those comments where people are bashing her family for dropping her off like this, don't understand how else the was situation. she going to get treatment at the point right that point in time he, she is 14 years old and she is constantly running away she is constantly using substances to numb away the trauma the untreated trauma and still even in 1996 well at this point you wait what i'm sorry to interrupt but being a being looked at as a shitty parent or saving your kid's life. Right, exactly. I take saving my kid's life because all day long. Because it's going to make me look like a shitty parent, but it saves right. my kid. For sure. I'm going to make the choice. Absolutely. Yeah. And she was in therapy. And that, right. to me, is even impressive for 1996 to have this 14-year-old in therapy. I okay? agree. And the therapist had said, she needs residential treatment. If you are financially unable to provide that and there are no resources, and my gosh, there's barely resources today. Can you imagine what it's like in 1996? Yes, I can. Uh, only because we know. We right. know what we were working with and what we are working with now. Right, exactly. So he did absolutely what he had to do. And um, that is why all those comments and the ignorance just shone through as it always does on the internet with these these comments. Um, so... Amber was placed in a Chicago youth shelter. Um, and at this time, she dramatically changed her appearance. Um, she was she had cut her hair. She had, um, I don't know if she had dyed it. I don't have that information. But she definitely looked much different. Um, and here's the thing. As a frequent one runaway, do you think that that behavior changed when she went to Northside in Chicago? Of course not. Of course She not. hadn't been treated yet. Right. There's a lot of reasons, but she ran away. She was a frequent flyer at Northside, okay, and frequently known for running away. So just keep that in the back of your mind, too. She actually ran away nine times over a period of six weeks, and it's one time when she ran away that we lead ourselves to this case where she does not come back. Okay. January 23rd, 1997 is when Amber, Amber Amy <laughs> ran away for the final time. She was homeless and alone. So of course she is going to turn to one area where she knows she can make money and she became a sex worker okay. to survive. Okay. Not uncommon. At not all. at all. On February 1st, 1997, we know that she attended a, a party at a seedy motel. Motel. I don't know why I said it like that. I like it. A seedy motel with a group of men, um, and it was called in what was called the Rolling Meadows. And it there was lots of drugs, lots of alcohol at this party. And we know that she left the party with a man that was seemingly a stranger to her never to be seen alive again. So the last sighting that we have of her is February 1st. She ran he away January 23rd. He was purchasing her body is what we're Absolutely. assuming. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So January 23rd, she runs away. February 1st, last time she's seen alive. Now, I take you to February 9th, 1997. Two hunters, and I'm going to tell you mm. that one was actually, actually an adult. The other hunter was a child very close to Amber's age at the time. 
and he was family friends with the adult. And so this adult just took this child hunting. Super typical in our area. Yep, absolutely. They were roaming near a marsh in Karcher Wildlife Area in Burlington, Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Remember I told you she went to the, she left the residential um, facility called Northside in Chicago. Yeah, so close. Wisconsin is so Mm -hmm. close. I have friends that live just north of Chicago that said it's actually quicker to drive to Wisconsin or to even Milwaukee to do stuff because the traffic's so bad in Chicago that although they're directionally closer to Chi-Town, they go to Milwaukee to to do urban stuff, um, you know, whatever, because of the traffic. So it is super close. That makes sense. Um, So they come upon Amber's frozen body. Oh, God. Now this is where they're in a marsh, marshy area. There, it it is described as a um as kind of a marshy area, and it's a wildlife area. preserve area. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to tell you how her body was positioned. Okay, which is a detail. Uh, it it's a disturbing detail. It's a very important detail, especially when you consider the person that has been convicted of this crime could possibly in 2024 after only 10 years be released back into society society okay amber's body was sitting upright against a tree with one hand one arm raised up high as if she was waving okay um the adult hunter told the child that was with him that it was a halloween mannequin left out of the woods because he could see that there were crystals on her skin. And so he knew that this was not a mannequin, but he did not want this child to understand what he had just found. Okay. So they, he tells the, the child that they walk by and he then notifies the police of what he found. Okay. Um, and actually our listeners said she's related to this person who found the body and said, you know, I see. they might be willing to, to even talk about it. But, but she did say, I can tell that it still haunts him to this day. And so I didn't want to ask him to come on and relive and re-traumatize um, him for the sake of our podcast. I understand. So, I just kind of let that one go and was like, we will just make sure that, you know, this is, we a, get this this is a call to action. As long as the details are out, I think that we've done our jobs. Yeah. At, yeah. At with, without harming anybody else in the process. You're not used to dealing with or seeing those type of things through your employment. The trauma is, is understandably awful. Mm-hmm. And then of course you have to consider the fact that even though we're desensitized and we see this stuff often, it's not that we aren't trauma uh, traumatized. We've just formed um, a really interesting sense of humor and coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And compartmentalizations in our brain. You got it. Mm-hmm. So it's believed that she had been murdered at a different location, which has never been identified and then disposed of at the nature pre- preserve. And I'm, now I'm going to give you the details of what more was found. So another little trigger, not little, another trigger alert here. She was found with a plastic garbage bag around her head, which was used to kill her because the cause of death was ruled as asphyxiation. She had been extensively physically abused, including being, being beaten on her face, slashed in the facial area, and she was extensively sexually assaulted. There was a bite mark on her neck that caused such significant compression that they believe that it played a role in her death, her actual death. Wow. Okay. Now, this is just an, a disturbing detail. The word high was written on her palm, which the same palm that was raised upright in the upright high position. High H-I, as in H-I. hello. Yes, Exactly. In, in the same palm that was sick. essentially waving. Thank you. It's exactly. <clears throat> That's disgusting. It's disgusting. Not that murdering someone isn't disgusting, but the um, the posing. Yes. The time it takes to pose and to, and to make whatever statement you as the killer are trying to make. Disturbing, yes. More than disturbing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. So psycho- psychologically, I would be very interested in getting some information here that I hope you're going to have. So on him, yeah, not a whole lot. Okay, no, not I have a whole some thoughts lot. Thoughts about that, I'll share later. Yes, 
There was also a price tag from a bookstore. No. Yep, that was observed to have been um, placed onto one of her arms. And I believe that it was $5. The price tag was $5. So now we're going to degrade her. Now we're degrading her. Forget about the fact that you're the one that was willing to purchase her. You're going to degrade her for how you met her. She wore very few clothes. Um, Some were obviously removed in the uh, assault, including a jacket and a backpack that contained personal items. Um, Those were found there? There, no. Those were missing? No, they were not found at the scene, and so they believe that the murderer took them as souvenirs. Okay. Her pants were later found in a nearby parking lot with her underwear balled up in the pocket. She was naked? From the waist down. Mm -hmm. The police failed to identify her, partly due to the youth shelter. You're not going to love this not reporting her missing until five weeks after she ran away. And then when they did report her missing, they provided the wrong girl's photograph when they did. I wish I could say I was shocked. I know, but she had a history, and I'm not standing up for the center. Me either, but were they paying attention enough that they even knew she was gone, Charnel? I don't Did it take five weeks because they were like, oh, that's weird. Well, A, they gave the wrong girl's photograph, right. which then made me think, also, is, is that girl missing too? Possibly. But also, she had a history of running away, so probably some time lapsed just in the let's see if she shows back up situation, but still, it's, it is not okay. It's total negligence, total, complete and total negligence. And I'm assuming there had been a lack of communication between her and her father after he um, left her to the state. Well, as part of the... Um, Removal. Yes. He wasn't allowed to contact Correct. her. And they probably didn't have an obligation to contact him. Of course not. Only the state. Right. Right. Talked myself through that. Thanks. And that's how they discovered she was missing because her state social worker showed up to see her. Right. Yeah. So... She had to be, since she wasn't identified, and and the police have found this body, they buried her as Jane Doe. Now, I do want to give a couple of little positives to this town in Wisconsin, okay? She was buried in a casket that was donated by a local man. The sheriff's deputies were pallbearers, and a hundred local, at least a hundred locals um, came in and attended her funeral. This does not shock me. No. I I love Wisconsin. I have friends from Wisconsin. Small town love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're they're not going to let somebody be treated disrespectfully, even posthumously, and consider how she was found. I bet that tore a lot of mama heartstrings. Oh, absolutely. These people didn't know her, but they were touched by her story, okay, of just like how how awful to have been. And they can tell she's 14. She's She's a a young girl. Right, exactly. Now, she was finally identified, Megan, a year later. No. And an entire year goes by after America's Most Wanted ran the story and her father, Robert Creek, contacted police after viewing the episode. My, I have goosebumps everywhere. Because he knows. What a fucking way to find out. Right? He knows that his daughter was reported missing by the um, the detention center, Right. And he has not seen her. And he just connects the dots, given her description, her age, all of what they, you know. Thought that she looked like from. For sure. Also, just they they had a pretty good working, the police did right off the bat, working hypothesis based on the grotesque clues that they left of how this child ended up this way in his her father knew if she escaped, she would have had to have resorted to sex work to survive, right? So he was familiar with some of her behaviors prior as yeah, well. Yep. The trauma uh, that she was exhibiting. Yes. So formal identification was achieved through dental records and DNA matching. And they did exhume her body and she was reburied under a, a headstone that has her name on it. Good. Also, I do want to say that state laws were changed to prevent issues like this with the misidentification from happening again in the detention centers. Like they changed ways where they were keeping records in in photographs of kids and whatnot that came in and out. 
Now, the case goes, goes cold, all right? They don't have, even with Robert being able to identify his daughter, they don't have a whole lot of leads, and now a year has passed. So they, they can reasonably assume that she was probably killed by one of her clients. It was not until February 2014, 17 years after her murder, that detectives find a, a catch, a, a caught, a, oh my God, a break, a break. A clue? Uh, a break my, in the case. That hurt my brain. I saw it. It's ca- written in front of me and I couldn't read it. I saw it in your eyes. What was happening? Well, mostly because you don't usually read. You look at me and tell the story because you have these memorized, <laughs> but then you have to glance back every once in a while for a, <sighs> a hint. <laughs> I'm trying to say detectives finally caught a break in the case. Good job. Oh, that shouldn't have been as hard as it was. In October 2013, an Oklahoma crime lab began re-examining fingerprints taking from, taken from the scenes of unsolved murders. So then in that was October 2013, February 2014, Amber's case is reopened and examined in an Oklahoma crime lab where they were able to match a thumbprint on the garbage bag that was um, wrapped around her head. So they matched this fingerprint to one James Paul Eaton, a 36-year-old divorced man. He was 19 at the time of Amber's murder and lived in Palatine, Illinois, the same town as, as Amber. One of the men seen with her in early February 1997 bore a strong resemblance to James Paul Eaton. His fingerprints were not on record at the time of the murder. They became on record in 2000 after his arrest for possession of drug paraphernalia. Okay. So he committed a crime to get placed into CODIS, and Mm -hmm. that's how they were able to match him up later. Yep, in 2014. And so he's been on, he's been there for 14 years. Yeah. But I think that Jenny and I, cousin Jenny and I talked about this on the last episode of how long it takes them to process stuff. There's I mean, so there's much so old many, info on cold so cases. so many paper, you know, so many cases to process. They literally have special grant funded programs for people to, to hire um, so that they can start running. Yep. Information, information. through, evidence through. Mm-hmm. Investigators located Eaton. In Chicago, and on March 22nd, they collected a discarded cigarette butt. I love these cigarette butts again. Again! I know. I had no idea. If you're a smoker, don't commit crimes, okay? For sure. Because we will find you. (laughs) (laughs) So he discarded the cigarette butt. The police who were trailing him just pick that right up. And his DNA did match the DNA that was found at the crime scene. This is not just a coincidence, Mm. sir. Nope. So Eaton was arrested in early April and incarcerated in Racine, Racine. yeah, Wisconsin. Authorities also looked through his computer, Facebook profile, and phone, as well as searching his residence for possible souvenirs from the scene. (gasps) As Like um, a jacket and a backpack? Yes, as they suspected that things had been taken by her killer. Police 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 attempted to get a confession from him by showing him images of her um, when she was alive and then also the images from when her body was found. The Amber's family has spoken out that they believe that there was more than one person involved in her murder, particularly in the transportation of Amber to Wisconsin saying that she may have um, believed that she was being taken to her grandmother's residence that was located in the state of Wisconsin at the time of her murder. Does that sound like something that you would engage with, uh, uh, you want to call him a John, I guess, with, like, you're you're being paid for sex having left a party, presumably to go and provide that service, and then they're going to drive you to Wisconsin? But she was last seen leaving a party with two men. Okay. That was the last time she was seen alive. I miss. I forgot that. Two men. Mm-hmm. And one of them matched this fella's description. Yes, and DNA. Yep. Okay. So police have stated that they believe there are more who know details about this crime. And we don't know if the bite mark actually, remember, that was on her neck that yes. contributed to her death? 
I, I don't know and I couldn't find an actually Wikipedia who didn't do a bad coverage of this. I will I will say that. Lately, it's been providing useful long information. long as we keep fact-checking. Exactly. Um, the, the, and even in that article, it said that it it's not reported if that bite mark matches Eaton's dental records or not. Someone has that information. Yes. That's easy to get. Which leads the f- the family to believe further that there was another person involved because it hasn't been confirmed. Right. You know what I mean? It almost seems like that would be a piece that would have come out, right? Um, and let me clarify too. They don't, they won't say it's a match. Remember with um, tooth and teeth impressions with mm-hmm. dentals and stuff, what they'll say is this person is excluded or not excluded. Mm-hmm. Right. So just, exactly. just to be clear. And it, and it has been stated that his saliva was found at the scene, but it wasn't explicitly reported to have been on the bite area. So that's where it's raising. Yeah, that's you know. interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's go over his original charges, okay? His original charges consisted of first-degree murder and concealing a body, which was a sentence of life in prison. He pled not guilty to both charges um, in his October 2014 arraignment. The trial itself was scheduled to begin November 2015. His defense attorney has stated that they had not been given all the evidence available in the case, despite the strong indication that he played some role in her death. However, the final pretrial conference and trial were later delayed to May 31st and June 6th of 2016. Okay. As the defense was attempting to locate an individual to examine the bite mark, on um, her neck Absolutely. as well as the DNA from the scene. Right. They mm-hmm. want an independent expert witness, presumably to testify that he didn't cause the bite mark. Right. Because it would have come out that he did. Right. And right. Th- it, that's being kept back because they don't have a match. Mm-hmm. And this is a beautiful defense on a homicide. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, a judge convinced by Mr. Eaton's attorney eventually ruled that information that was obtained through interrogation of Eaton after his arrest, including his reaction to Amber's photographs, could not be used in court. Oh, my God. They successfully won an exclusion motion. They did. Mm-hmm. Which means they had to have thought that there was either some type of duress um, or that it, it wasn't obtained appropriately. You're smiling at me. Yeah, it's like you're reading the next sentence. Well, yeah, because this is my job. and, and Clearly, it, you know how to do it. Son of a bitch. The police, Knowing the things sometimes. <laughs> the police continued to in- interrogate him after he requested a lawyer. That'll do it every time. Absolutely. And you throw the whole thing out. So, police officers did not acknowledge his request until the third time that he made it. Um, it so, it was ruled that that information obtained by the police um, could not be used, okay? Fruit of the poison tree. Yeah, That's right. The, it's it. Right. Yep, exactly. So, October 25th, 2016, Eaton did plead no contest to a reduced charge of first-degree reckless homicide, after a, a, another unnamed man is under investigation for suspected involvement, but right now they're not releasing that name as they continue to investigate. So inevitably, he was sentenced to 40 years with eligibility for parole after 10 years. All right. And that 10 years, Megan, is March 2014, as I mentioned, and our listeners. 2014? I 2024. 2024, thank you. <laughs> Literally Numbers coming up in, in five months. Yes. Less than in, five months now. Exactly. And our, our listener was kind enough to include the parole board information for the call to action to keep a man like Mr. Eaton behind bars, as we have um, listed it in the show notes as well. So you can join the family in the fight to ensure that this man is not released. Um, I do hope that in the future, if there was a second person involved, as it's heavily suspected that there was, that DNA evidence could eventually bring that about or a tip or something. Um, But at this point in time, I found no information that indicates another person has been um, arrested or, or convicted, certainly. And of. really no confirmation that we know that there's another person even involved at the scene. We know she left with two people. Mm-hmm. We know there's potential DNA from two people if, if well, we don't know. We speculate mm-hmm. because we don't know about that bite mark. But it also doesn't mean that that person was there at all. 
Did somebody commit the murder and another person assist with the disposal? And I think that that is what is in question. What the and then which that's one what was the it? family believes is that um, Eaton himself committed the actual murder, and then he garnished help. So there's somebody who knows more, you know, in in moving her body and posing her body the way that it was. But there, the only thing that we do know is that there is another unnamed person at this point in time under investigation for suspected involvement in the murder. So I have so many thoughts right now. Yes. Yes. And well, now, and now I understand why our listener felt compelled to send it to us, to send a call to action, you know, for us. Um, the disturbing details as we talked about earlier. What did you say the charges were originally again, other than first degree murder? So, uh, concealing a body, concealing a body. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know how that was. Was he charged in Wisconsin or Illinois? Wisconsin. Okay. Because that is where, yep. That's right. Um, So in Wisconsin, I I don't know if they're similar to us, but first of all, I'd like to comment a little bit about Heinz. Remember, this is is my opinion, and hindsight is always 20-20, but in terms of charging, there are multiple other things that could have been charged. Sure. Uh, Kidnapping, which is usually a life offense. Yeah. Um, Mutilation of a corpse. Can it be kidnapping if they believed that she was engaging in sex work? Yes, okay. absolutely. And because I think the, that's one of the things that we don't look at. At some point in time, when you're being held against your will, even if it's just momentarily, at the point in time where she's out of the car and tied to a tree, mm-hmm. or at the point in time that she's being transported with their intent to not return her, mm-hmm. that, that I think it could be proven. That's what I wanted to point but out. But proving it's is hard. Just when, you're, when you are engaging... It doesn't matter what behavior you're engaging in. And then it takes a turn to something that's no longer consensual. Right. That is when you're committing a crime. Right. And so it doesn't matter. I, I purposely led you into that you because did. of the way that people have bashed, you know, well, almost like she deserved this. Like, how could you have not seen this coming? Okay. Oh, and I no. hate that shit. So th- that is why I wanted to really bring that up. I hope people understand that when you take that mindset, you are perpetuating, um, serial killers and their motives mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Like I literally, that's, that's the hill I'll pick to die on because think of how many famous serial killers, people who are just immortalized out here have preyed on sex workers, mm-hmm. um, either, either because they were doing the world a favor by ridding them of them mm. because of some religious preoccupation, yeah, that disgusting you know, those thought. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so when we as a society express that same opinion that she was worth less or that it didn't mm-hmm. deserve the same amount of a sentence, for example, because she engaged in sex work willingly. Right. Well, let's remember she was 14. So people, she didn't willingly engage in anything because she wasn't legally allowed to consent to sex, period. Correct. Even consensual sex. Correct. Keep so that they were in mind. committing a crime no matter what. No matter what. Here, Something by the statutorily way. illegal was at least happening. Mm-hmm. So when people are writing to the parole board i mean they need to consider a couple of things too they're gonna take into consideration that this was a 19 year old man that committed this Mm -hmm. they're gonna take age into consideration okay okay but remember 14 is not a legal age of consent in any state no uh certainly not in wisconsin but in any state and he was Mm -hmm. so even if it was consensual to start with so was he charged with criminal sexual conduct no no criminal sexual conduct in the first degree because there's penetration and, and violence involved or at least third degree based off of ages it just depends on the state that that worries me uh, quite a bit right and then again was the corpse mutilated or was she tortured alive and only only um you know an expert would have been able to testify that but i'm assuming Certainly. that's something that they know or could present mm-hmm. right to not just the parole board but usually um is, is the prosecutor in Wisconsin, that's a good question, are they involved? Do they get to come and speak at the parole board hearings? Because you could always write to that office as well um, in, in support or asking them to please express an opinion on that case. Right, right. Um, that's a good point. And I can't be judgmental in either way when it's a, it comes to a case like this because of what I do, but they're just thoughts and options. Mm-hmm. And just letting, letting everybody know those. And... And just for the sake of fairness here, let's remind people what no contest means. Because he pled to no contest to a reduced charge of first degree reckless homicide. Okay. And he was sentenced to 40 years with the eligibility of parole after 10 years. So with your expertise, Megan, 
please explain it doesn't what no necessarily contest means. make a difference in the long run but the no contest is usually used when they don't want to be responsible in this case i'm just going to garner uh, venture a guess here, civil liability. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially admitting guilt and taking responsibility without officially verbally admitting Saying guilt. guilty. Yep, okay. you're, you're pleading no contest is as in that I do not contest the charge against me. Okay. By which yes. I am I'm committed or Thank convicted. You. Now, other reasons to do a no contest plea are um, intoxication, mm -hmm. which is never a defense to the crime, but it can be used if you have no memory. So we have memory come up as an issue um, in cases that are super old. We've had individuals who have been almost elderly and literally have very little memory about what happened. True. So that's another reason that a judge might allow uh, or take a no a contest. No contest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think in this case they might have because there is a suspected another person involved? Potentially, but I don't know that it would really make a difference. Or um, do you think it had something to do with the way that... Um, information became non-admissible due to the police in interrogation. I think that that's yeah, a potential non-admissible, which I also like too. Um, I, I think it, it's it's truly a word and it's the same word, by the oh, way. Okay. Just, I'm just using like, the legal. Did I make something you up? You didn't, but I'm to. using the legal one just okay. to, because I can't help it. <laughs> well, I right. couldn't help it. I corrected it in my brain. It came out my mouth. Um, I honestly, my personal opinion just off the information I have is that it'd be civil liability. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. So, yeah. So look in the show notes for um, the parole commission there. And really, uh, if you if you feel so compelled and I just want to really thank the listener for reaching out to us and um, trusting us with this information, um, both the personal information that you included and um, with Amber's Am Amber Amy's story. It's a two part call um, to action. Yes. One to make sure that if you are so inclined that you write to either the parole board or other appropriate people because it's going to be potentially happening soon, at least the first time he's available mm -hmm. uh, to ask for parole. And the second fold is that there is potentially another person of interest. Yes, yes, that we would like to see brought to justice if if that is If you fact. were at a party um, where there was a lot of drugs at a seedy motel. <laughs> in, in 1996. There is no judgment on our parts. We were all young. Yep. Um, Say you thought somebody might have been leaving to engage in some type of paid sexual activity, you should report that. Yes, uh, and yep. and who and those just, people look just like. See, yep, yeah, yeah. Especially if you know who redeem, they are. Redeem, redeem your youth. That's right. Come forward now. I and, and I was in that. sixth grade, so that wasn't <laughs> happening for me. But uh, no. yep, no. yep. So yeah, but just a, another thanks to our listener for um, giving us this case suggestion. So yeah, thank you. Let's pause for just a moment, Megan, to talk about a new opportunity. Is it just me, or has this fall been particularly busy and stressful? There have been so many changes in my personal and professional life that some days it just feels like too much. I've started to feel scattered in my thoughts and in my actions, and I've noticed that my anxiety has been on the rise, which is unusual for me because I'm not usually an anxious person. So I was pleasantly surprised to receive an email from a company called Magic Mind. They were inquiring about a sponsorship on an opportunity for the podcast, and I thought, why not give it a shot? And a shot is exactly what I ended up receiving. Magic Mind sent me the most delicious little green shots of Nugenics to take with a morning smoothie, with my coffee routine, or even on its own. I was really surprised to feel the powerful little punch that these green little energy shots delivered. Within the first couple of uses, I found myself with less jitters that coffee typically gives me, and I did notice a big improvement on my mental clarity and concentration. Magic Mind has reduced my coffee intake. Just this week, I found myself in too much of a hurry to even make coffee, so I grabbed my little green sidekick and off to work I went. I was energized and clear-minded all day. I was willing to try Magic Mind because of the all-natural ingredients. I really had nothing to lose. The flavor is delicious. I was surprised to see some of my favorite ingredients like ashwagandha for reducing stress and anxiety and lion's mane mushroom, which is the fluffiest and the cutest of the mushrooms, by the way, for reducing anxiety, inflammation, and it's a stimulant for neuroregeneration, which would explain why my workouts have been feeling less painful as well. I think my listeners know by now that I would not recommend a product that I have not tried myself and enjoyed. As a matter of fact, I have turned down sponsorships in the past for this very reason. 
I shared Magic Mind with my oldest son in college, and he asked me when I would be ordering more because not only does he enjoy it, but he's also got his roommate hooked as well. The Magic Mind team has created a special offer to share with Crime Curious listeners. You get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase when you go to www.magicmind.com forward slash Crime Curious and enter code Crime Curious 20 at checkout. That's www.magicmind.com forward slash Crime Curious and enter code Crime Curious 20 at checkout. I've also included a link in the show notes. Give Magic Mind a try and be on the way to energetic mental clarity. Now, you want to be bathed? <laughs> we're going to bathe you in a in a really funny, weird um, way. Also kind of like self, self, not selfish, but definitely just. This, my friends, <laughs> is called the definition of petty. Yes, it, it is a petty brain An bath. epic response yes. by yours truly. Right. Let me explain how this all went down. So it is super rare that we get a negative review. And we usually just laugh at them because they're all really dumb. Also, some reviews that are negative, we and other podcasters we know don't take personally because they offer constructive criticism. Yeah, absolutely. One person said once that you interrupt me. One person said once that I interrupt you. And that's actually something that I'm like, shit, I don't want to be the person that interrupts. Right. At least not something important. When my other co-host was on the podcast, we would get... Yeah. You know, things like that. And uh, someone mentioned a tongue click, like that she had tongue clicked too much or something. And like, so oh, funny. again, constructive criticism, things that we don't hear when you're used to being with that person. Yeah. Right. So cool, cool, cool. Like, thank you. So but we don't put all of you on blast. No, because we do appreciate constructive criticism we do. and we can grow from that. We do. But then there's other ones that are just not constru- constructive criticism. It's clear that it's by someone who has listened to approximately 30 seconds of an episode and felt the need to state their Maybe Opinion. even a few, maybe even a few episodes benefit of the doubt. This wise. one, this person did not listen to a few episodes. There is so no way. To summarize, they basically stated that um, it was a, a podcast where one person does all of the talking and the other person sits there uselessly. Yes. And I could only have assumed it was me. So I took offense. But, but I don't know. They might have listened to an episode that you put on and thought I sat there use, uselessly. So, yes. so, so I sat there one day <laughs> at lunch reading through reviews and really just feeling like nice and glowy and warm. And then I, and then it always pops up that same one that just really <laughs> fucking bothers me. And so I couldn't help, but for my own benefit. And I sent this to those of you who are Patreons in our little t- group chat that we have. Yes. So you've read this already. My level of petty. Okay. <laughs> I apologize to the people <sighs> like our friend brain bath, Jason, who don't like when I use big words. Cause there's a lot of them there here. Is, okay. I'm assuming this particular reviewer, not that they're ever going to hear this, but wouldn't understand a majority of the words that you used, but it is the beautiful mixture of both petty, super intelligent, sarcastic, and funny. It's I don't know how one blends that and makes. I don't even know. I'm going to read this, and we're going to see how this goes. So loved it. It's going to be better. Read like that. It's from you. Because reading it in my head, I can hear your voice, but I want your tone, your inflection, your inflection. Are you ready? I'm ready. In response. Dear gentle reader, (laughs) please read in the style of Lady Whistledown from Bridgerton. The interwebs are full of opinions, and fairly and truly, you have stated your own. I implore you, however, kind sir or madam, that before one spends time authoring such a scandalous review, that one scrolls through the episodes to ensure accuracy in their holdings. (laughs) Both of the ladies of Crime Curious lead their listeners through retellings of true crime-related events. To indicate that one host worthlessly sits is to expose your own self to the harsh reality that you may have actually neglected to listen to more than two or three episodes. (laughs) Or even one. The fault doesn't lie with your review, but in the very obvious failure to research what kind of podcast to which you attempt to endeavor. (laughs) It is true that some wish to hear true crime presented in a serious and documentary, perhaps even pedestrian manner. Yes. It is also clear in our advertisements and warnings, perhaps the statements lighthearted, and that murderers are dicks. We're lost on you. (laughs) And it is also true 
that comedic attempts may be lost on individuals who value a particular method of humor. For alas, it is but a gallows sense of humor that these two ladies derive same from. Yes, yes, we do. Perhaps it is the continual day-to-day immersion in the research that they present. Perhaps it is that they are simply ladies of a personality to which you do not proscribe. (laughs) Or could handle and understand. And perhaps it is that once a stick is firmly inserted, it is with much difficulty that one can remove it. (laughs) That's what does it for me. (laughs) We thank you for your review and hope that you enjoy listening to all of the available vanilla and missionary podcasts (laughs) that exist for your pleasure. With kind regards, the ladies. Of okay. crime curious. Yes. Amen. <laughs> uh, that deserves an amen Thank right you. there. I have yeah. my moments. Thank and it yes. just, it was therapeutic for me to write it. I'm no longer angry. No. Petty, no. yes. Angry, angry, no. Angry, no, no. Yeah, that was, that was one where sometimes people really do reveal their ignorance and their lack of actually understanding the show when they leave certain reviews. And we've been very blessed. Y'all have given us such amazing reviews. They give us all the butterflies, tingles, and help keep us going. Truly. Yeah. Because if we had a crap ton of negative reviews, we probably wouldn't continue we to create wouldn't. content. We wouldn't. And I really appreciate the people who privately message and let us know when um, we've committed an error or yes. we did something in a case that they didn't like. Because if you haven't heard all of our episodes, you will know that we go back and correct them and yes. even have redone episodes yep. to ensure accuracy and we'll continue to. So, correct. you know, please, please reach out. Continue, continue to leave reviews. I don't want to leave, you know, scare right. anybody just you know if you leave one that's douchey and not accurate i'm gonna respond we, we might respond we might publicly, publicly. respond <laughs> well and and i do appreciate even though like you mispronounced so-and-so's name wrong cool because i can put a little sound bite at the beginning of that episode it's no. just a warning like hey just so you all you all know this is the you know that correct the pronunci- correct pronunciation yep. yes yeah. exactly i to won't do honor to the victim i truly will not do that again for towns because on, on the one where I mispronounced the town, I did do that, but I'm, I'm no longer engaging in the town stuff. Y'all, there are so many different pronunciations of towns, but people's names, absolutely. Well, names specifically of victims or survivors. Oh, 100%. Yes, but that remember is that if we don't intentionally correct a murderers, it's because they're dicks and they don't deserve it they anyway. Don't, I yeah. don't need to memorialize their accurate. If I nope. intentionally spell somebody's name wrong, you heard the intent part, right? Yes. It's like intentionally pronouncing somebody's name wrong that you don't like. Yeah, for like sure. Like this is your new daughter. This is your daughter's new boy, Ben. His name is Eric. Hi, Alan. Nice to meet yeah. you. No, Eric. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, I, yeah. I heard. But his name's <laughs> Alan to me. No, a hundred percent. I I don't give a shit about the murderers themselves, um, in terms of their their pronunciation. But yes, pe- family members, people involved, victims, hundred percent. But yeah, so we're not we're not totally petty, but I sometimes that one that one was just dumb. That one was just totally dumb and insulting because we both work very hard on research for it's this fine. podcast it's so fine. <laughs> that's obnoxious but anyway thank I don't you. hold a real legal job down or anything I'm not busy no no, <laughs> no worries no no me neither me neither <laughs> all right uh, y'all we appreciate you yes we do we we hope that you continue to keep listening oh and my phone just fell until you scared me until next time also, keep it curious keep it curious <laughs> keep listening I didn't know how we end this thing that I'm sorry well we usually go Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm I'm new here. <laughs> ¶¶